0: To our next edition of the Dan Siegel Show, hosted by yours truly, Dan Siegel. ACC content today is a purely football-based episode. We are actually recording this on Saturday the sixteenth because I would I'm giving off for myself off, my guests off, obviously for Easter the seventeenth. But as normal, we will have a Monday morning release and get back to normal schedule next week. Uh, today we've got. Two guests as usual, Mike Washman from College Football Focus on Twitter. We will be doing a little fun segment with him called "Build Your Perfect ACC Football Program," and there's a lot of features in that segment which I will explain when we get to it. But that'll be a lot of fun. And then our second guest will be Alan Rubenstein from Kane's Warning to do the same thing we did we did with Pitt last week, but with Miami and that is analyze some of their spring football storylines. But first, as usual, we've got our top five for the week. And today, today's top five will be on the NFL Draft. I'm going to break down the top five ACC-related storylines pertaining to the NFL Draft from, I guess, when the season ended up until now, some of the storylines that have gone on in the pre-draft process. So let's start with number five. Jelani Woods looks to be this year's Combine darling. The UVA tight end led the conference on the field in yards, touchdowns, contested catches, and missed tackles forced. This is among ACC tight ends. And then he went to the Combine and really really impressed 24 reps on the bench press that is most among tight ends 67 is his size and he ran a 6. Point, or I'm sorry a 4.6140 yard dash that is the fastest time for anybody his height since 2003 and really what's happened is since the end of the season he's gone from maybe a day 3 pick which is pretty unpredictable when you're projecting guys as a day three pick, whether or not they're going to get drafted. Now Jelani Woods has a real shot to be one of the first tight ends off the board. So I know I'm not a big fan of combine numbers as a sole basis of projecting guys to the NFL, but if there's one position where it really matters, it's tight end. So good for Jelani Woods and exciting to see his draft stock just skyrocket throughout these months. Let's move on to number four. Zion Johnson is considered the top interior offensive lineman. I think due to his super high floor, he is 100% worth a mid first round flyer. Now, sometimes there's not even a interior offensive lineman that goes until the late first, early second. That might be the case this year. And the only reason that is, is because Some of the best tackles in the league and in the draft class are much more impactful than some of the top guards. That's just how it works in in the sport of football. And if Zion Johnson is the top interior offensive lineman, he will have beaten out Tyler Linderbaum, the center from Iowa, who is the other contestant to be the top interior offensive lineman taken. And before the season, I think Linderbaum had a bigger, much bigger step on him. He was more of the consensus top interior lineman, but Johnson had a great season. Now they're both projected around the end of the first round. Like I said, I think Zion, due to his just super high floor, his low bust potential, I think he's 100% worth at least a mid-first round mid mid-first round flyer. And here's an impressive stat I found about Zion Johnson, 2,280. 88 snaps in his college career, one penalty that was accepted against him. Very disciplined player. That matters. Number three for our top ACC NFL Draft storylines. Here we go. What is the consensus about Jermaine Johnson? The Florida State edge rusher was, in my opinion, the most dominant defensive player in the ACC last year. And he's pretty much a consensus first-round pick. He's got a wide array of pass rushing moves. He's good against the run. He's played in different defensive set, uh, defensive schemes throughout his college career, and based on his skill set, he's not really scheme dependent. He could kind of play in whatever it takes as an edge rusher. People worry though about his raw ability. Just he's not very refined, and the fact that some of his sacks. This year he had a lot of sacks, but it came from mop-up duty because the Florida State defensive line as a whole was just so dominant that it wasn't even just Jermaine Johnson that got all the attention. So he's just you now the sloppy seconds, the quarterback scrambles and he avoids a sack, and then Jermaine Johnson gets picks up the sack and ends up getting full credit for it. But I think he's a great player. I would estimate around ten to fifteen range in terms of which pick he goes, but I wouldn't be shocked if he falls more because there's always a player that does. Maybe it's Jermaine Johnson. We'll have to see. But let's move on to number two. Who is QB1? And this is very ACC related because before the year, before this college football season, before the 2021 season, we thought it was going to be Howell. But during the year, some of his flaws were really exposed. He did not have the third year of college football after the first two that he had in terms of production that we expected, even though he had a great year on the ground. So I think QB one is Malik Willis, if we're being honest, not a big fan of the quarterbacks in this class in general, but if anybody has a great chance or the greatest chance to last as a starter, I think it's Malik Willis. If it is somebody in the ACC at this point, It's Kenny Pickett. Kenny Pickett kind of had the opposite trajectory as Sam Howell. He was the biggest riser during this football season. And Pickett intrigues me from a purely college production standpoint, the fact they just kept improving each year, getting more polished, and we see him pick up on things when he enters new offensive systems and new concepts and just continues to improve. So will he translate that to the NFL, or was it the fact that he was just there for so long for five years we'll have to see but he wouldn't be the first five-year NFL or five-year college football player to go to the NFL and have success so in terms of what actually happens I could totally see Kenny Pickett being the first quarterback off the board and I'm not even sure he goes top 10 even with that being the case so not a strong quarterback class compared to the last two let's move on to our number one storyline Will Icky go number one? The NC State offensive tackle, Ikem Ekwanu, has been raved about. Absolutely dominant this season in the ACC. Had a very similar season, record breaking numbers to what Christian Darisaw had last year. Darisaw from Virginia Tech went 23 overall to the Vikings. But Ekwanu has even more potential. Because he's so toolsy, he's strong, he's flexible, super violent. And despite this, his college production might not even fully encapsulate what he could do in the NFL. Because sometimes he's a little bit out of control. Sometimes he's a little bit uncoordinated. If we fix that, or if the NFL team fixes that, his potential is an absolute superstar in the NFL. The mean across all databases, if you take all the mock sites that are projecting the NFL draft, the mean is that he goes around fourth overall, and he has tied for the third best odds to go first overall. So it's Aiden Hutchinson at minus 225, Trayvon Walker at plus 300, and then Evan Neal and Ikema Kwanu are tied for third at plus 1,200. So Something to keep an eye on. That'll be great for NC State to have a number one overall pick, and that'll do it for our draft recap or our I guess draft news recap from the past several months. I believe next episode we will fully contribute to the NFL draft and previewing that because it's coming up in a couple weeks. Actually, at the end of the month, so that's what we will cover next week. But this week we've got a really fun segment. We're gonna have Michael Washman on from College Football Focus to do this build your perfect ACC football program, which I will explain in just a sec. But let's get Mike on. Here we go. So we are joined by our first guest of the day. That is Michael Waxman. Sorry if I butchered that the first couple times, but Michael Waxman from College Football Focus to do this segment called "Build Your Own" or "Build Your Perfect ACC Football Program." Mike, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Dan. Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me on. It is a Saturday. I wish it was a College Football Saturday, but we're not that far off. I watched the Ohio State
0: spring game today. Um, had to shift into ACC mode, but I think I'm ready. I'm definitely ready too. Um, this is going to be a really fun segment, so I'll, I'll explain it now because I've been alluding to it the last couple minutes. So there will be eight categories for which we will choose an ACC team to represent our program. And the eight categories will be coaching staff, facilities, run offense, pass offense, defense. Town slash atmosphere, fan base, and history slash brand. And we will choose category by category and alternate who goes first. Now, there is a catch for this because we cannot choose – we cannot both choose the same team to represent the same category. So I'm not going to give anything away for the ACC. But let's say we're doing the SEC. We can't both use the Alabama coaching staff and – individually we can only use the same team once so i can't use the alabama run offense and the alabama fan base i can only use alabama one time so to decide who goes first i got a virtual coin flipper in front of me and mike heads or tails call it i will call tails and it is tails so you get the first pick so our first category will be coaching staff and who are you choosing to represent your program
1: um even though it is a new staff i really like what mario cristobal has put together um at miami they're recruiting great guns seems like the culture has changed almost overnight he's really instilled that into his guys
0: yeah for sure that's definitely a good pick i was actually going to plan on doing miami because for i mean i'm going to choose clemson because i think Coaching staff is probably the most important aspect to a program. It's not just the coach. It's all the assistants. Miami was probably the best value for this one because Clemson could be used in so many other ways, so many other categories. But since they're available, I am going to choose Clemson to be my coaching staff. That's a good pick with Miami, though, for you. I I would have picked Clemson, but the loss of both of the
1: coordinators had me tick them down just a notch. Because yeah, it's, it's really kind of an
0: unknown with new guys handling the coordinator jobs that's for sure that's for sure that's actually a good point as well but um just Dabo and himself has just been so successful and so much well, more successful than everybody everybody else head coach wise in the conference that I was going to pick him but let's go to facilities and this one is a difficult one I'm going to pick North Carolina I think that If there's one thing that they have going for their program, it's their brand, it's their facilities. That's how they're getting all these recruits. In the past couple of years, it hasn't translated as much to on-field success, but we're just talking facilities, and I'm going to take North Carolina.
1: Yeah, having been to Keenan Stadium for um, Mitch Trubisky's uh, Pro Day a couple of years ago, I was very impressed, and I know that they've put a lot of renovations in the facility, so Um, if you didn't use North Carolina, I was going to use them. Um, of course I will use Clemson because they may be the gold standard in all of college football. I mean, I know that Oregon is right up there as well, but the investment Clemson has made into their facilities, um, is just astronomical. And I think that that is a big reason why their brand seems to keep, just going and going and going and there's not a whole lot of drop off cuz
0: kids kids love that stuff the, the the all of the the ancillary stuff that they that they put in interesting so we both used our clemson which is the best in a lot of these categories we both used them early on we both used them in our first two but let's get going into the next category and you're going first for this one where are you using for your run offense um i am going to choose louisville i think that the
1: um the acquisition of Tyon Evans um, and they still have Malik Cunningham. I mean, I'm counting the entire backfield and yeah. Malik Cunningham is a very dangerous runner. Um, so I think that Louisville, especially because Scott Satterfield has kind of had a physical mentality in his coaching staff and his coaching stops. Um, I-, I think that Louisville can can really pound
0: people and that they've got a nice one 2 punch. And you've always got to worry about Malik, too. Yeah, I just put out his stats today. Malik Cunningham had the most, I think it was breakaway runs, which was like 15 plus yards in a run. He had the most of them by far last year in all of FBS football, and he is returning, so that's a big one. For run offense for me, I'm going to pick Syracuse because Sean Tucker is very good run, running back. I do worry about their offensive line and their new offensive scheme, but I'm probably not going to use Syracuse for anything else, and they do have a to one of the top run offenses in the conference, especially because they rely on it so much. So I'm going to use Syracuse for my run offense. And then for pass offense, which is the next category, I'm going to take Virginia. I think they returned pretty much their entire receiving room besides Jelani Woods, the tight end, who, like I talked about, is rising up draft boards. But receiving-wise, wide receiving-wise, they have a lot of weapons. Brendan Armstrong, one of the best quarterbacks in the country. And don't forget about Lavelle Davis. 6'7 receiver, had a big freshman season. He tore his ACL. He was out for all of last year, and he will be coming back to full health next season. So another guy to watch out for on the UVA passing offense. That's going to be what I think – is the one thing we could rely on on this new Virginia team is the fact that they will throw the ball well. So pass offense for Virginia for me.
1: Yeah, they, they were actually going to be they, – they were one of the two that I was thinking of. In fact, um, when I was going over the ACC players, um, I was really torn between who's going to be the all-ACC quarterback. We've mentioned Malik Cunningham, Brendan Armstrong, Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman is where I'm going to go with Wake Forest. They return most of their receivers. They had a very prolific passing offense last term. I mean, they just choose not to run the ball most of the time. So Hartman is a veteran, um, and they have, uh, I mean, AT, uh, AT comes back and Donovan Green. And so they really have um, just a, a lethal lethal passing attack and and that's how they win games so whether it's late whether it's early they're going to be throwing the ball all over the place
0: okay not a bad pick I had Wake Forest in my considerations as well I think the ACC is loaded with good passing offenses honestly that's the one category that you probably can't go wrong with with four or five teams so I'm glad I got Virginia though Uh, how about your defense because you're going first for this one Clemson off the board, but right. you take Because Clemson is off the board, um, I am going to go with a team that
1: returns a lot of talent and was probably the second-best defense in the league last year. I'm going to go with NC State. Their linebackers are, I mean, Drake Thomas, Peyton Wilson, if he can be healthy. Their secondary returns, all intact. I mean, I love Shaheen Battle. I love Jakeen Harris. Tanner Ingle is a veteran. Um, and then up front... Um, they've got Corey Durden, and they've just really, Dave Doran has done a really nice job getting depth on that defense. Some of it was guys played last year because of injuries, so that helped. But I really think that NC State, um, if they're going to make a real run this year, I think it'll be because
0: of the defense. For sure. I had NC State and Clemson as hopefully what I got for defense, but both of them are off the board for me. And this is tough. I'm going to go with a wild card because outside of those two defenses in the ACC, I'm not sure which is going to have vast success. But what I think is going to definitely improve is the defense I'm going to take, and that is Virginia Tech because Brent Pry coming over from Penn State, he had very good defenses there. And they have some returners, especially in their defensive backfield. I think their pass rushing will get better. So it's a wild card, but I think they're definitely going to improve this year and that's what historic Virginia tech programs have been known for is their defense. I think they're going to start to get back to that this year. So I'll go in defense for Virginia tech or Virginia tech for defense. Um, Next category is, so these we finished the on field categories. Now a couple more off the field categories. So the next one is town slash atmosphere. And I'm, I mean, I've already taken North Carolina, great college town. I've already taken Charlottesville, great college town, not maybe the best football town. I've taken Virginia Tech, who has a great stadium atmosphere when they're good. Um, how about – you know, I'm going to give a little bit of love to the Atlanta area. I'm going to take Georgia Tech for this one. Um, I, I'm just a big fan of Atlanta, and obviously – I mean, the city loves their football. I know their NFL team is not very good right now, the Falcons, but they have a pretty um, good at- stadium atmosphere when they're good. And the town of Atlanta, they, they, I mean, the one thing Jeff Collins is doing in his tenure is really rallying around that. The on-the-field results have not been good, like I've said, but I'm taking Georgia Tech purely for town-slash-atmosphere.
1: Um, for town and atmosphere I am going to take Chapel Hill as. Uh, or, uh, did I take them already or did you take them
0: I took them so you're good with okay. that
1: so Chapel Hill, uh, again, when, when I went down from Mitch Trubisky's Pro Day, we hung around um, a little bit, walked the campus, um, saw some of the historic sites, Sutton's Drugstore for lunch and all that kind of stuff. And the, um, the students, this was, I think, like a Thursday. And the students were just still all decked out in their Tar Heel blue. They had their shirts on. I know that the stadium isn't the biggest capacity stadium, but... Um, but it certainly seems like there is atmosphere there, even though it's a basketball town and, and, and kind of a basketball school. I think that people are behind Mac. And I think what they've done the last few years with Mitch Trubisky and with Sam Howell, people are really getting into the uh, the whole make this place an intimidating place. So I'm going
0: to take Chapel Hill um, because I really liked the town when I was there. Well, oh. Yep, that was that's definitely a good pick. I just didn't have North Carolina on the board for me. But how about your fan base? What are you choosing for them? Um, I'm going to
1: choose uh, another one that I'm somewhat familiar with. Um, I'm going to pick Virginia Tech. Um, I have some family members who grew up in the West Virginia, Virginia area who kind of gravitate toward Virginia Tech. Most of them are pretty knowledgeable, like to an outsider. There are fan bases that if you try to come to their games – that they're just going to harangue you and hassle you. But from what I understand, from what they've told me about going to games, they say that they enjoy talking with other fans. They're knowledgeable. Um, I really think that they will, I mean, they'll they'll call a spade a spade. They weren't really keen on Justin Fuente. And I do think that they are high on Brent Pry. I think they're knowledgeable. They are definitely passionate. Um, If you've ever seen, I mean, everyone's seen the the inner Sandman, how that goes. So, I am going to take
0: Virginia Tech as a fan base. Passion is definitely one thing they definitely do have. Uh, For me, I'm taking Miami as my fan base. I have not used Miami yet. Large in size, uh, very passionate as well, and they are definitely going to fill my stadium that I have. I guess if we're considering the town slash atmosphere, if we're considering that like the stadium, that's Georgia Tech. So if – as long as I have a good product on the field, which based on my categories for on-field, run offense, pass offense, and defense, I should, I think Miami fans will be there. And um, that's what I'm going to pick for my fan base. How about, uh, or actually I'm going first for this one. So history slash brand, our last category. I'm going to go with Florida State. Um, They made the ACC into what they were. In the 90s, they have a history before they even joined the ACC. They just are rich with historical players, talents. Um, probably among the ACC programs, I can't go wrong with anybody except for Florida or Florida State is probably the best one. So definitely uh, Florida State for history and brand. How about you?
1: Yeah, they were. Uh, I, I was going to choose them. I almost chose them for. Uh, one of the last two categories because I actually have been to dope Campbell stadium before. Um, but I think that the on-field product has suffered a little bit. So I don't know that the atmosphere, um, has been great. So I am going to go off the board. They, they have gotten good again recently, but if you go back to the the sixties and seventies, the Pitt Panthers were yeah. really up there. I mean, they won a national championship, Hugh green, Tony Dorsett, um, Mark May, Bill Fralick, they've had some of the great players in college football history. And, I mean, they've had some ebbs and flows, and they do play in a professional stadium, which I don't love. But Pat Narduzzi, I really think, has kind of tapped into the the, the college market there. And the fact that they were in the ACC uh, title game, I think, um, and have just have been a good program for, like, the last three or four years, it seems like they have been maybe the most consistent Uh, team in their division, kind of as a foil to Clemson being dominant on the other side. Pitt has been consistent, and you pretty much know what you're going to get with them. You're going to get a hard-nosed team. You're going to get a team that has some talent, but they develop guys. I mean, their linebacking core that they've had the first few years, they didn't come with talent, but they developed those guys. And the secondary, the Paris Fords, the guys who have played. So, um, So short of Florida State, I will take the Pitt Panthers.
0: Mike, this was definitely a fun segment, and I will have a – my guy Ben, shout out to Ben Rekosh. He will put together a graphic that will compare our two programs, and we'll have the fans through Twitter poll vote on which one, if they were a five-star commit, they would commit to. But appreciate your time. Just before you head off, is there anything you want to plug from your college football focus page?
1: Um, Well, I mean I'm just kind of in – I've gotten into, into preseason mode. Like I said, I'm watching some spring games. Um, I've watched a couple of the ACC games. Um, I'm just plugging away, going over rosters. I am going to have a, I'm going to take a shot at putting a preview magazine out this year. Um, everyone's got one. So I said, why not join, the, join the fray? Um, it is going to talk about all 130 teams and it's going to have your normal stuff, your lists, um, your debates, your coaches on the hot seat, all that sort of stuff. So that's probably going to be out sometime in late June or early July. Well, so, and I've been uh, teaching information um, from it on my page um, daily. Usually by conference, I might take a, a break off. Like, who are the best transfers that are coming into the ACC? Who are the best freshmen that are coming into the SEC? And so I've been putting like a little tidbit item up um, on weekdays. Um, just kind
0: of as as a little bit of a preview, but I'm not giving away too much of it. Well, good luck with you continuing to put that together. I can't wait for it to come out and enjoy the rest of the off season because college football is coming soon enough. Thank you so much, Mike. It certainly is. Thanks for having me, Dan. So thank you very much to Mike Waxman, and I hope you guys enjoyed that segment. It was definitely something That I wanted to kick off the football offseason coverage with in terms of fun little segments. And I'm definitely going to continue to do things like this if you guys enjoyed. So submit your feedback. Give me ideas, of course. I will be glad to hear them. Uh, We're going to get to our next guest, Alan Rubenstein from Kane's Warning in just a second. But first, just a word from our sponsor for today. And today's sponsor is the Pipeline Discord. Come join our growing community of college football and basketball fans where we talk games, news, recruiting, predictions, and much, much more. And be sure to stop by our betting t- channel to maybe pick up a hot betting tip. That's the Pipeline Discord. Link is in the description. All right. Thank you so much to our sponsor, as always. And now we are going to get on Alan Rubenstein from Kane's Warning to talk some Miami football spring storylines. Here we get so we are joined by our second and final guest of the day alan rubenstein from Kane's warning and alan we had the spring game earlier today i haven't personally not gotten to watch this yet but i heard tyler van dyke looked really good did you have any huge takeaways from this he he was incredibly accurate he he looked himself um he made some big throws
2: there are some drops that Cristobal is not so happy with. Um there are three, I think I saw. Um and but otherwise he looked really good. Jake Garcia, the back, projected backup quarterback, looked good. Um Jakari Brown, who was their big 2022 quarterback signee, is a different style quarterback. He also played and looked pretty good, especially getting out and moving, you know, running when he needed to. So I mean it was pretty solid performance. They were missing, like, I think it was six, 16 players. And they're probably going to add some more in the transfer portal. But they've they've got talent. I think they've probably upgraded the talent through the portal and with the recruiting class they had. It'll be an interesting year with Cristobal in his first year of their schedules. I mean, it's kind of mixed. They play at Clemson in November and at Texas A&M Week 3. Other than that, the very winnable games, Florida State, Pittsburgh, and are at home. So, I mean, those would probably be the t- – and North Carolina is also at home. Virginia Tech's on the road, but they're going through major transitions. So we'll see what happens.
0: Yeah, and uh, so I appreciate you coming on. Yeah, we'll talk like – I'll ask you more specific questions in a second. But, Alan, we t- look at the Coastal Division this year. It looks very winnable for Miami. And I actually talked about this with Alan Saunders, who's a the Pit beat writer last week. And I kind of said the same thing with him. It's kind of between those two schools because there's a lot of turnover in the division. But, I mean, in Pitt's case, they, they're they losing their starting quarterback. Well, so is a lot of teams. Miami lost their head coach, but this is actually for the better with the transition from Manny Diaz in to Mario theory, Yeah, I mean, offensively, I think they were great
2: offensively last year, especially once Van Dyke took over, which was interesting because King was unbelievable in 2020. But they were able to push the ball downfield more with Van Dyke. I mean, he's clearly nowhere near the runner. He's a totally different quarterback. But Lashley, I thought Lashley was a great offense coordinator. He really, their offense before him was horrible, absolutely horrible. I mean, Rick was so antiquated, and then Dan Enos was not really any better in 2019. And Diaz, to his credit, there's, he has a lot of detractors, but to his credit, Realized it wasn't working and got rid of him and brought in Lashley, who's now the head coach at SMU. I think they were 10th in total offense and 23rd in scoring, if I remember correctly, last year. So offense wasn't really the issue. We'll see how Gattis does. I mean, he was the Broyles award winner as the top assistant in college football last year. They should be more balanced. I mean, I think he'll strive to be more balanced than Lashley was, and they're going to be a much more physical team. Cristobal and Gattis will demand that. So, you know, with Pittsburgh, I know they lost their offense coordinator left for Nebraska, so it'll be interesting, because they have a new quarterback and a new offense coordinator, but they have their head coach, like you said. Miami has a new head coach and a new offense coordinator, but they get their quarterback back. They also lost Harley and Rambo, wide receiver. Mike Harley and Charleston Rambo, wide receiver. So that was big, but yeah, you know, it, it, it balances out, I suppose. And Cristobal is also one of four new head coaches in the coastal, which is which will be interesting. I don't know if I've ever seen that that much turnover in one division before.
0: No, it's it's really crazy. And obviously, when you have a new coach come in, there's going to be a lot of transfers. And in Cristobal's case, a lot of impact transfers. I feel like, from my perspective, you guys, Miami, have gotten particularly stronger on both the offensive and defensive lines, and I'm a particularly big fan of the edge rusher, Antonio Moultrie, I think, from UAB. So talk to me about some of your favorite transfers and just overall the impact well, that this Moultrie, transfer... Well,
2: oh, I'm sorry. Moultrie, they're actually going to... I mean, it's sort of odd. He, he was kind of a hybrid 3-4 outside linebacker defensive end for at UAB, and they're playing him at defensive tackle. Cristobal has said he's going to be defensive tackle for them. So which was interesting because they're, they're pretty loaded at defensive t- I mean, Harrison Hunt and Taylor, I'd be shocked if that they're not. Taylor will definitely be the starter. I'd be surprised if Harrison Hunt wasn't the other starter. Um, they have Jacob Lichtenstein, who transferred in. He's originally from, I think, Palm Beach, somewhere in Miami. He might be Broward County, um, which is Fort Lauderdale. He transferred in from USC, but he's originally from South Florida. And he's going to probably rotate between tackle and edge rusher. As far as the other transfers at running back, they have Henry Parrish, who was terrific in I think he was terrific today in the spring game. He he just looks like the total package at running back. He he's he can run inside and outside, and he's a good receiver. Um they have Frank Ladson, who's originally from South Florida. He's wide receiver who played at Clemson. He's he's loaded with talent, we'll see if he can crack the start the first team. But they're going to get more. There's probably guys that aren't even on the table yet, but they'll be there by training camp. Is my guess.
0: And then you we know, obviously you, t- you talked about the new defensive coordinator coming in in Kevin Steele. So what are your expectations for that unit as a whole? You talked a lot about the front, but maybe talk a little bit more about the defensive backfield.
2: I think well. Steele and Strong there and Charlie Strong and still be the co-defensive coordinator with Steele. Although Steele's not a position coach, he's only the defensive coordinator, which just seems rare these days in, in college. I think in the NFL it's pretty normal, but um, and strong's gonna be the linebacker coach, but they're listed as co-defensive coordinators. I think their biggest task with both of them will be the linebackers on the defensive line. They have Joe Salavea. Who's going to coach the defensive tackles who played at Arizona in college and then the NFL for twelve years? And they brought in Rod Rod Wright from Texas San Antonio. I think he played a couple of years in the NFL. He was a defensive uh, line coach at, U- at UTSA last couple years, and then they have Jason Taylor, all-famer, former Dolphin, who's not like he'll be like an analyst or whatever they call it these days you know there's certain restrictions on what he can coach but when you have three guys focusing on the defensive line they only have one in the backfield jamila die who they got from georgia is a big-time recruiter and did a pretty good job coaching the d D-back, backs at uh georgia um so i think strong and steel's job will be to improve the play at linebacker i mean Their talent, they've got it. That's going to be the biggest focus in recruiting, I would think. The next year or two is just upgrading the linebacker play. Defensive backs, they've got good. They they've got improved too, but they're they have more talent, I think, in the defensive backfield than they do at linebacker.
0: That's fair. All right, last question I want to ask, and it is April sixteenth right now. So this is very early, but everybody likes these kinds of questions, so I'm going to ask anyway, and I'm not going to. Hold you accountable for anything in December since it's so far off. But do you have a very early, like, floor, ceiling, most likely record for Miami next season?
2: I mean, I think ideally, and I think the fan base would probably say this, I mean, there's some in the fan base that thinks they should always go undefeated, but um, because the fan base, they still want it to be 2001. And, um, but... I mean, 10-2 and two would probably be the ideal ceiling. You know, they play at Clemson and at Texas A&M. Those are really brutal games for any coach in his first year at his school. Even, even if, like, when Saban retires, I think whoever succeeds him, that would, well, maybe that would be the lone exception. But, um, I mean, even Clemson lost three games last year. So I would say if they... I, to me, it would be nine and three. I think the fan base would say ten and two because you're to expect them to go undefeated in the other ten games. I think would be a lot. I think the ceiling also would be winning the winning the coastal, which is certainly doable. Um, I just wrote a post this week about uh, ESPN came out with their football power index, and I think they had Pittsburgh at forty five percent to win the coastal in Miami at like fifteen. Number could be off for of Miami. But it was something like that, and I mean, I thought it was a little high for Pittsburgh. I'm not sold on them them repeating, but I think that's fair. Floor, I mean, I think the floor for Miami always has to be eight and four. I think anything less than that, with 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 the recruiting base they have, there's no reason they go worse than that ever. I mean, I mean not ever, but consistently. Think they, they should, like, a seven and five year once every five to ten years is understandable, but any more than that, if there's just no reason for it. I mean, they have too much talent that they can, you know, Mario Cristobal, he, he, he went from having to get on a plane and go for two, three-hour flights from Oregon or longer to being able to get in a car in an hour and a half, two hours, you know, see how many, you know, maybe 20 top 100 players. Maybe I'm exaggerating, but the, that the, at one point, the most... The NFL, the city with the most NFL players was the 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 city had the most NFL players from high school, like where they grew up. Miami was one, and Fort Lauderdale was two. Now I think it's one and three. I think Houston's in between, but it's the amount of talent down there is insane. So there's no reason that that they can't get to eight and four even this year.
0: Well, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm looking forward to your uh, content as the season approaches. And finally, like I keep saying, with college football really kicking off and getting underway, we have several months to go. But off-season yeah, content me. is fun. And uh, I think that will do it for our segment today. So, Alan, thank you so much. This has been Alan Rubenstein from Kane's Warning. Alan, thank you. Thanks a lot. So thank you so much to Mike and Alan, and that will do it for our episode today. Next week, we will have a full episode devoted to the NFL Draft and the preview of that. But for now, that will do it for this week. You have been listening to The Dan Siegel Show. Thank you for your continued support of our content here at Pipeline. Be sure to follow me at Dan Siegel ACC content on Twitter and subscribe to our show. Maybe even leave us a five-star review. If you're feeling generous. Once again, this is Dan Siegel. Sign up.